So for those of you who are listening to the children's message this morning, our texts all speak of reconciliation and newness. From our epistle reading this morning, we hear, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Newness. I have to admit, newness is a bit difficult for me to talk about this morning because perhaps like some of you, I feel tired and worn down. Perhaps, dare I say, even old. I'm at a point in life now where I'm staring 40 in the face. My birthday is in January, if you want to mark that on your calendars. <laughs> and things are not quite the same as they used to be. My waist is getting a little bit bigger. I had to go get new pants to be comfortable up here this morning. Um, my body moves a little slower, and things in the morning tend to ache for absolutely no reason sometimes. And the last few years with the COVID-19 pandemic and Michelle's back surgery and recovery, well, these last few years have done nothing to make me feel anything other than tired and worn out. Perhaps some of you can relate to this feeling. I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, certainly seems to be able to. In our epistle reading this morning, we jump into his second letter to the Corinthians in the fifth chapter. But if we go back to his introduction to this letter, Paul talks about being tired and worn out, even to the point of death. He writes, For we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, that might be a little extreme, but that kind of sounds right to me sometimes. And the church in Corinth, to whom Paul was writing, I think they knew a thing or two about feeling tired and worn out as well. In the first letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's writing to rebuke them for the divisions and the conflicts that arose amongst them. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that was wild and disorderly, full of people so haughty and full of themselves that they had replaced themselves, they had replaced Christ as the center of their worship with their own wisdom and knowledge. They had placed themselves as the object of their faith. Perhaps this sounds a bit familiar to us as well. But despite this, despite Paul and the church in Corinth feeling tired and wore out, Paul has hope. He writes, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And this hope, this newness to which Paul speaks, I think it's more fully articulated in our text from this morning when he writes, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So, if you are like me, feeling tired and worn out, 
Paul says, have hope. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And like I said, newness is a central theme throughout our readings this morning. In Jeremiah we read, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God promises a new covenant to Israel, a covenant that is signed in the blood of Christ as he dies on the cross, and a covenant that is paid in full as Christ rises from the dead. In your baptism, you too participate in the death of Christ, where the old Adam within you is drowned. And you participate in Christ's resurrection as you rise from the waters of baptism, a new creation. Your iniquity, your immoral and wicked behavior is forgiven, your sins forgotten. The newness that God's, prom- that God's promised new covenant brings I think is illustrated well by our gospel reading of the prodigal son. You know the story, so I won't belabor it. I'll jump right to the heart of the matter. The father, seeing his son, his wicked, immoral, sinful son, declares, for this my son was dead and is alive again. The prodigal son is made new by the word of his father. The father forgives the iniquity of his son and remembers his sins no more. Like the prodigal son, you are a new creation, a son and daughter of the living God, as Paul declares in his letter to the Romans, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. You are a new creation, a son and daughter and heir to God through Christ Jesus. But as Paul reminds us in Romans, there remains suffering. There is, after all, a reason for this newness. There is a reason we must be reconciled to God. Going back to our Old Testament reading, God speaking through Jeremiah refers to his new covenant as not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. My covenant that they broke. The covenant, the covenant that was broken was the covenant between God and Israel recorded in Exodus chapter 19, where God declares, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God makes this covenant with the people of Israel after he leads them out of slavery in Egypt, after he provides them with manna and quail to eat and water to drink from a rock, After this, God declares all that he will do for his people if they will obey him. 
And then he tells them how to obey him. He gives them the Ten Commandments and his law. He literally spells it out for them. And how do the people respond? After experiencing all that God has done for them and hearing what God will still do for them, how do the people respond? We know the story. We know it from our own lives as well. At what seems to be the first possible moment, Moses goes back up to Sinai and he comes back to find that they have created a golden calf for themselves. Now, I think it's easy for us to look back at the people of Israel and condemn them for what they have done, but I ask you this morning, what is your golden calf? Alex, you were raising your hand. No? Okay. Um, What is the object of your worship when you think God is not watching? For me, I'll take this one from you, Alex. For me, it's control and maybe a little bit being judgy, but I didn't put that in the text. That's just my little confession for this morning. But I will admit that I worship at the altar of control far more than I would care to admit I want to be in control. I want to make my plan for my life and maybe some of yours without even telling you. Um, And I want it to be my way. I want to be the one in control. But in the end, I find that I am no better than the Israelites or the prodigal son. You see, in the story of the prodigal son, The son is not just asking his father for money so that he can go and party and live a lavish lifestyle. This is not a story about a spoiled child with a trust fund. The prodigal son wants to live as if his father does not exist. In essence, when he asks for his inheritance, he is telling his father that he wishes that he was dead. That is, after all, how we receive an inheritance. Someone must die that you receive an inheritance. So the prodigal son in our gospel parable is going up to his father and telling him he wants to live as if he didn't exist. And the Israelites, with their golden calf, are telling God they wish to live as if he doesn't exist. And you and I, when we build our own idols, whether that's control, our sense of personal freedom, our power, our wealth, our toys, or our jobs, whatever it is that you hold more dear than God, you and I are that prodigal son living as if our father doesn't exist. We are Adam and Eve rejecting our maker and creator. But yet... Like the father in this parable, we too have a father, the father, who runs to us to make us new. When God, our father, sees you, he declares, this, my son, my daughter, was dead and is alive again. We are dead in our sin, but through Christ, we are a new creation. Christ died in your place that you may receive an your inheritance as a child of God. And Christ rose from the grave to make you new, to make you a son and a daughter and a co-heir with him. This, 
is the hope that sustains Paul despite his feeling tired and worn out to the point of death. Paul's hope rests in the knowledge that one who has died for all, therefore all have died. And Paul shares that hope with you when he implores you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake, for your sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we, you, might become the righteousness of God. There are a lot of reasons for us to feel tired and worn out this morning. We're in the midst of our second attempted call for a new pastor. We are grieving as a family right now. We have experienced death. In my family, we have four memorial services to attend this month alone. But like Paul, we have hope. We hope in the resurrection, that we are new creations, that we will be raised again as a new creation. For the word of God declares to you, you who have been baptized, who partake in the body and blood of Christ, when you do that, you are a new creation. God promises the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Thanks be to God. Amen. We continue with confessing our faith together in the words of the Apostles' Creed.